Shalom, and welcome to the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, discovering the Hebrew roots of the Christian faith. And now, from beautiful Brandon, Florida, here are your hosts, Pastor Nick Plummer and Ryan Cabrera. Shalom, everybody, and welcome. This is the Beit Tehillah Community Podcast, and I am Ryan Cabrera, here in Studio A with Pastor Nick Plummer, and we are studying Pastor Nick's favorite book, not necessarily my favorite book, but Pastor Nick's favorite book, Vaikra. We'll have maybe conversations about why it's his favorite book at some point in this process, but uh, it is Vaikra, uh, the book of Leviticus that we are starting now, the first Torah portion being called by the name Vaikra, uh, which means in English, and he called, the first words in the Torah portion. And this can be found in the book of Leviticus, starting at chapter 1, verse 1, and going through chapter 6, verse 7. And I think this is a pretty bloody tour portion, so uh, let's get going. You know, uh, this is an interesting book, Leviticus. I, I really love it. You know, it is the meat of the Torah. It's, it's right there in the middle of the Torah. Uh, to the left, you've got Genesis and Exodus. Then there's Leviticus sitting there. And on the other side, you've got, of course, Numbers and Deuteronomy. Uh, for those of you that are listening, uh, a lot of people ask me, well, Pastor Nick, what Bible do you recommend? Uh, what Bible do you use? And I want to let all of you know that I've been using the Keyword Study Bible, thanks to Eddie Chumney, who turned me on to it years ago, and it's a King James Version, Keyword Study Bible. has uh, really incredible cross-references, and it also has uh, a really great concordance in the back. But I'm going to be reading the uh, introduction to Leviticus from the Keyword Study Bible right out of the gate here. Uh, we're looking at, uh, at this. It is so named because it records the duties of the Levites. The Hebrew name for the book, the first word of the Hebrew text, means, and he called. This title is representative of the content and purpose of the book, namely the calling of God's people and in particular, the calling of the Levites to minister before him. The, this third uh, book of Moses is a primer for the moral and ethical instruction of the chosen people of God. So once again, we know in Exodus 19, uh, Yahweh's going to marry the, the people of Israel, and he's going to say that you will be above all people if you hear my voice and keep my covenant. And the beauty of this is that we would become a nation of priests, a holy nation. Uh, Peter actually quotes this as well. And so it's only fitting that if we are priests and uh, we are called to the priesthood, we are called to represent uh, our Father, uh, then the book of Leviticus is something we might want to consider. Uh, and so once again, we are looking at Vayikura, and he called, and uh, looking at the time frame here, the, the book of Leviticus time frame. Uh, they're at Mount Sinai on the first day of the first month. Uh, we can find this in Exodus chapter 40 in verse 1. And now we're going to continue on in the story. And this particular uh, book is going to resume in Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9, the story is going to resume. And it's going to kick off and it's going to give some instructions on Passover. So uh, the book of Leviticus, um, you know, people make jokes like, uh, about how, you know, watching paint dry or reading Leviticus, you know, could be the same thing. And uh, obviously, uh, we know in our hearts that that's not true. I, I remember when I would be reading my yearly Bible, I'd be doing my devotionals every morning uh, prior to getting into Hebrew roots, and I'd come to the book of Leviticus and be, you know, 6 a.m. when I'm trying to read. Uh, and that would usually be uh, the book that would, would help me take a nap. 
Um, and so since then, uh, there, you, you begin to realize that there's so much uh, depth and uh, richness to the book of Leviticus, and it really is a great book. Uh, but also, uh, I was listening to Aleph Beta has a podcast, and I listened to their podcast, and they were talking about how uh, people, you know, just like uh, people drop off when you get to Mishpatim in Exodus, people start to drop off when you get to Leviticus because you have a narrative, you have a story all the way through, uh, up through the end of Leviticus, and then boom, all of a sudden now you're in the book of of the Levitical laws, and it's a more of the instruction manual. So like you open up something uh, like your printer uh, that you just bought, or a bicycle that you have to put together for your kids. And Leviticus would be the instruction manual. And you could either ignore the instruction manual and end up with extra parts when you're done, or you could heed the instruction and you could have a, a, a successful venture. You know, there, there's a famous scripture in, in the Bible that says, in all you're getting, get understanding. So if you'll just turn it over to the Father, say, Father, I want to understand Leviticus. I want to understand these five sacrifices uh, at the beginning of Leviticus. I want to understand. I want to know your ways and respect it. You know, and that's the thing. Even with Judaism, you know, as Christians, we need to respect Judaism. And so as we look at the book of Leviticus, we can see where it says, you shall be holy. That's what it starts out with. You shall be holy. Uh, this is an awesome book. And the fact that chapters 1 through 17 is the way to God. It shows you the way to God. Chapters 18 to 27 is the walk with God. And we'll be breaking these things down one at a time. And once again, actually chapters 1 through 17 deals with redemption. Uh, and the Day of Atonement. Uh, chapters 18 to 27 deals with restoration and the year of Jubilee. Now, we just left the book of Exodus, and it starts with a groan, but it ends in glory. So this is what's really cool about this particular book. You start with consecration, and you end with consecration. So once again, we have a lot of resources about the book of Levit Leviticus. I actually do a survey on the book of Leviticus. Uh, I do believe it's even... Uh, found in our YouTube channel, how I taught that, uh, but there'll be a lot uh, more information coming in the future here. But love this book, Ryan, and we're going to be looking at the five sacrifices at the beginning of this book. And so let's begin with question number one. What is the first offering called in the beginning of Leviticus? Uh, it's the burnt offering. Leviticus 1.3, the burnt offering. In the Hebrew, it's olah, number 5930, olah. It means a step or stairs as ascending, usually a holocaust, as going up in smoke. This thing is totally consumed, and that's what we're seeing in the burnt offering. It is totally consumed. It is a voluntary offering, Leviticus 1.3, and it would be a sweet savor unto the Lord, Leviticus 1.9, a sweet savor unto the Lord. And of course, uh, in Leviticus 1.4, Ryan's going to read... For us, Leviticus 1, 4. It says, And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Very good. Now, once again, think about this, everybody. It's a holocaust offering as going up in smoke, ascending. You know, this is totally consumed to make atonement for him, Leviticus 1, 4. Uh, we're going to be, of course, looking at uh, an example of three classes of people because we're going to have three different types of animal sacrifices here. Uh, Leviticus chapter 1, verses 3 through 17, uh, these are appropriate for a burnt offering. A bull without blemish would be representative of the upper class or the rich. Uh, a male sheep or goat without blemish would represent the 
middle class, and of course, turtle doves or young pigeons would represent the poor, the lower class. And so we know even in our economy today, as we look at America, they say that the middle class is shrinking, getting smaller. And so uh, we really can't argue that fact, but that's one of the things that we would note in our culture. But uh, we're going to be moving on here. Leviticus 7, 8, uh, what portion of the burnt offering belonged to the priests? Uh, that's going to be the skin. The skin belonged to the priest. So even in the burnt offering, the priest would get the skin. Now... We've accomplished that particular offering, the burnt offering. Once again, this is a picture of you totally yielding of yourself, giving of yourself. No body part is hanging off the altar. Nothing's hanging off. You're totally consumed. Uh, I, I do believe in Romans 12, it talks about this, a living sacrifice. So just remember that in the back of your mind. Now we're going to go into uh, question number seven. We're going to be looking at the second offering here. Uh, it is, of course found in Leviticus 2.1. And what would that be, Ryan? It's going to be the meat offering. In the King James Version, it's called the meat offering, but we know this is a grain offering, otherwise known as a meal offering that is unleavened. This particular uh, offering is a, is a meat offering, and it is the Hebrew word micha, which is 4503 in the Strong's Concordance. It means to apportion, bestow, a donation, tribute, Bloodless and voluntary. Once again, the burnt offering is the first one. It's voluntary. This is bloodless and voluntary as well. This, is, this of course, has no blood. Uh, meat offering, a meal offering. Uh, some examples that you could find in regard to something like this would be uh, the peace gifts that Jacob gave to Esau in Genesis chapter 32, verses 13 and 14, or also known as a tribute. This is when Ehud, the, the great judge, uh, went to Moab uh, in Judges 3. 15. So what three ingredients made up the meat or the grain offering? Leviticus 2.1, Ryan, and question number eight. So this is going to be fine flour, oil, and frankincense. Fine flour, oil, and frankincense in regard to this unleavened bread. Once again, it's grain. And so uh, question number nine, what did they do with the remnant of the meat offering? Leviticus 2.3. Uh, the leftovers were for Aaron and his sons. For them to consume and to eat. It yep. shall be Aaron's and his sons. Once again, you can have a... Uh, actually, you can have this particular uh, offering baked in an oven or baked in a pan. Uh, if it's baked in an oven, it's unleavened cakes of fine flour mingled with oil or unleavened wafers anointed with oil, Leviticus 2.4. Once again, they can be baked in an oven or baked in a pan. If it's baked in a pan, Leviticus 2.5, it's fine flour, unleavened mingled with oil. So this is very interesting. Baked in an oven, baked in a pan, the meat offering, the meal offering. So what was needed to cook the oblation of a meat offering in a frying pan? What was needed, Leviticus 2, 7? Oil. I mean, it's pan fry. Oil. Yeah. Question number 12. Uh, was a portion of the meat offering to be a memorial for the Lord, Leviticus 2, 9? Absolutely. Yes, it would be. And once again, in Leviticus 2, 11, uh, you could have no leaven or honey in your offering to the Lord. You could have no leaven or honey in your offering to the Lord, Leviticus 2, 11. Um, we're going to be going on into some first fruits now and, and dealing with the, uh, the wheat and the barley and the grains here. Uh, question number 15, what is to happen to the oblation of the first fruits? 
the oblation of the first fruits is uh, offered to the Lord and is not to be burnt on the altar. Now, not to get first fruits mixed up with the actual feast day, uh, this is actually uh, a very interesting word. I, I, I wanted to look this up. First fruits, uh, it's found in the Strong's Concordance, number 7225. It's Rashit. Now, doesn't that sound familiar? Yeah, like, like Bereshit, right? Bereshit, you know. It means the first, in place, time, order, or rank, beginning, chief, principal thing. It's occurring 51 times in the Old Testament. The first word written in the Bible, Genesis 1-1, right? Bereshit, Reshit. So this is a grain offering that's, that's first and foremost, amen? So question number 16, was every oblation of the meat offering seasoned with salt? It sure was. Leviticus 2.13, salt, seasoned with salt. We are to be the salt of the earth, right? Salt is good in our food, isn't it? It gives us flavor. Yeah. I mean, that's what we need. We, that's why we love these podcasts, Ryan. We know these podcasts have flavor. That's right. They have, they have substance. So as we continue to look at the meat offering, the meal offering, Ryan's going to read Leviticus 2.14 in regard to, of course, first fruits. That's right. It says, And if thou offer a meat offering of thy first fruits unto the Lord, thou shalt offer for the meat offering of thy first fruits green ears of corn dried by the fire, even corn beaten out of full ears. That's Once again, this is not the corn that you would think of. This is grain. And it means a kernel, corn, uh, and that's what we're looking at here is the, of course, grain. Now, we've discussed the burnt offering, the meat offering. They're both voluntary. And now we're going to look at this third offering, Ryan, uh, in Leviticus 3.1. Uh, what is the name of the offering given after the meat offering? Uh, the peace offering is next. Peace offering is next, and we would call that the shalem offering it's 8002 in the Strong's Concordance. This, once again, Ryan, is a voluntary offering, and it also means thanks. It's given to God in thanks or in praise to Him. Now, could the peace offering come from the herd? Uh, yeah. Leviticus 3.1. For sure. Could the peace offering be a male or female without blemish from the herd? Correct. Yes, it could. Once again, Leviticus 3.1. Uh, what was to be laid upon the head of the animal? It says uh, his hand. Be laid his upon hand would yep. be laid upon the animal. And question number 22, Leviticus 3.2, what was done by the priest with the blood of the animal? So the blood would be sprinkled upon the altar roundabout. And what was required for the peace offering if it was from the flock? Leviticus 3.6. It had to have no blemish. You see that? You got to bring your best. And you know, you it's interesting. You got to bring your best offering. Of somebody who has a flock... Um, you know, blemishes, um, you know, I guess you'd have to find out what, what exactly is a blemish, but it's any imperfection uh, in the animal. And so you want the top choice animal, uh, the healthiest animal without blemish to be offered to the Lord, because if you're just offering your sick or your meager... Um, God deserves the best. Correct. God deserves the best. So could the peace offering be a goat? It sure could. Yes. And this is very interesting. Leviticus 3, 4 and verse 10 and 15... What parts of the body were removed from all of the animals given as a peace offering? So it's going to be the two kidneys, uh, the fat that is on them, and the call above the liver. That's very interesting. These are all the things that, of course, would filter. Uh, it's interesting. They would be removed. Uh, these, are, these are organs that filter. 
here's a good one, Leviticus 3.16. Did all the fat belong to the Lord from the sacrifices of the peace offering? Yes, and you know, it's funny about this is uh, Mike Crummel makes the distinction uh, for us that this is the belly fat. Um, and so, you know, you were making the joke last night about, you know, that this belongs to the Lord holding your belly. The belly. But, uh, you know, it also, it, it kind of messes up like beef bacon and stuff like that. Like, you know, you get at, into the Hebrew roots and you're like, oh, I can't have bacon, but I can have beef bacon. And then you're like, ah, I, I can't have beef bacon. So if anybody's out there and, and you know, I mean, I, you know, beef bacon, I'm sorry if I beef ruined it Beef bacon's got some fat, but you could have beef bacon. But beef bacon is belly fat. Well, you it get, it just depends, you know. <laughs> now we're going to argue over bacon. So anyway... Yeah, just be be cognizant of the fat. Yeah. That's the thing. Be cognizant of the fat. Sure. That's it. Uh, just something to think about. It The fat belongs to the Lord. That's, That's right. pretty cool. Because it doesn't raise his cholesterol. Right, right. And this is a thing that we all have to research and look at as well. You know, what are we eating? What are we partaking of, you know? That's right. And uh, question it. number 27 is a fill in the blanks. Uh, Ryan's going to read Leviticus 3.17. It says, It shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that ye eat neither fat nor blood. Leviticus 3.17, that you neither eat fat nor blood. Why? The life of the flesh is what? In the blood. It's in the blood. So, Ryan, let's just do a quick little review here as we did these three offerings. We have, of course, uh, the burnt offering is where we're totally consumed. We totally give ourselves to the Lord. And with a meat offering or a meal offering, it's like you're serving the Lord. It's a way of serving. Usually the meal offering, the meat offering, would accompany a burnt offering. It would go together. So now that you have totally given yourself to the Lord, everybody, He wants you to serve Him. He wants you to be a servant. Amen. And the enemy's always trying to take us out of the picture, but but Yeshua was the, was the greatest servant when he was here on this earth as an example. And so with that, of course, comes our third offering of a peace offering. A peace offering is where you actually get to partake of. You know, you get to actually have some of this. So as we begin to expand Beit Tehillah's ministries, as we begin to grow, we want to have fruit. So it's a we, church barbecue. It is. And you know what? We want to be able to show people, look, Yeshua says you'll know them by their fruit, and we are going to build a strong community here is what we're doing, and raise up the next generation. And we even have our young people joining us in our Torah studies to help facilitate. And so once again, as you have this peace offering, you get to partake of this, and this is where you can have your family and friends and come and join and eat with you, and they're going to say, how come you you have, you know, prosperity? How come you have blessings and all these things? And we're going to say, hey, listen, you know, uh, the Lord has blessed me, and I love Him, and He's provided for me and taken care of me. And so those that are lost and those that are in our family or whatever, we can bring them into our fold, and we can show them that, look, being righteous pays off. Being righteous pays off. And so there you go with your shalom and your peace offering. Now, we're going to be moving on here to our fourth offering, uh, Leviticus 4.3. Uh, what is the name of the fourth sacrifice mentioned after the peace offering? It's the sin offering. Sin offering. It's Hata 2403 in the Strong's Concordance, and this is in regard to an offense, uh, sometimes habitual sinfulness, uh, or an offender. So now this is not voluntary, Ryan. This is going to be mandatory. You need to have a sin offering. Uh, we have a fallen nature. The wages of sin is death, and uh, we need a remedy. And so once again, uh, the Torah is going to show us uh, what sin is, uh, how we violate uh, the Torah. We, we are sinning. So Leviticus 4.2, what is the reason for someone to give a sin offering? This is very interesting. And so Leviticus 4.2 says this, Speaking to the children of Israel, saying, if, if a soul shall sin through ignorance against any of the commandments of the Lord concerning things which ought not be done, and shall do against any of them. 
So that's basically sinning right. through ignorance. So this is sinning through ignorance, and we know that we do have known sin, but this particular reference is is just, you know, you were ignorant. You didn't know any better. You know, you didn't know that. And so we could all say that to some degree. Well, then so what we'll, we, we do need a sin offering. What we'll find is that there is no sin for, for or there is no sacrifice for willful sin. Um, there's only repentance and then a sin offering. Right. Now, I'm going to kind of breeze through this really quick here because it's important that you actually get to know this as well, that, you know, the priesthood is not above the people. Uh, the priesthood is to bring the people to, to God. And so there's not a hierarchy here where, you know, they're, they're, they're more special or, or, or whatever, or they have more benefits. The, the bottom line is that uh, even a, a priest was to bring a, a sin offering, which was a young bullock without blemish, Leviticus 4.3. And of course, uh, he would lay his hands upon the bullock's head before killing it, uh, Leviticus 4.4, 4, to, to, of course, transfer, you know, his sins into the animal. Imagine that. And, uh, of course, uh, question number 32 in Leviticus 4, 6, where was the priest commanded to sprinkle the blood seven times? So it'd be seven times before the Lord and before the veil of the sanctuary. And so that was seven times in Leviticus and 4, And seven six. means completion. That's right. It's, it's cyclical. Amen. And uh, even in regard to the, uh, the blood being applied to the altar of incense uh, in Leviticus 4, 7, on the horns, and we know the altar of incense represents our prayers. That's right. Our prayers. And so... Uh, in Leviticus 4, 7, what was to happen with the rest of the blood from the bullock? They'd be, uh, pour it at the bottom of the altar of the burnt offering. So there's actually almost like a, a channel or a basin uh, surrounding the altar where the blood would spill through um, during these sacrifices. This is, uh, And they also talk about a spring, the Gihon spring that comes up in the temple. Uh, this is obviously in the tabernacle, but the spring that would, would flush the, the sacrifice blood. So once again, the priests had to have a sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? So yep. they're not above the people. And of course, before sacrificing the bullock, the priest did remove the two kidneys, Leviticus 4.9. Yep. And uh, this is a, an interesting uh, point here in Leviticus 4.12. What was the priest to do with the rest of the bullock if it was not fully consumed in the sin offering? So they would carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn on the wood uh, with fire. And this reference is found in the New Testament as well. In Hebrews 13, 11, Yeshua was crucified outside the camp. Uh, very interesting. And uh, as far as the sin offering for the whole congregation, the uh, young bullock was used, uh, Leviticus 4, 14. And uh, question number 38, Leviticus 4, 15. Who in the congregation was responsible for laying his hands Upon the head of the bullock. So this would be the elders of the congregation. The leaders, the elders. See that? See that? The responsibility for the elders to take responsibility. Uh, very important that you have elders, that you have leadership. We have over you know, 20 people in leadership at Bay Tehila, and uh, we all work together and, uh, and uh, complement one another and support one another and uh, share the vision. Share the vision. That's what's great. Um, is the requirement for the application of the blood the same for the priest as for the congregation. It is. That's Leviticus chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. Yes, the application of the blood is the same requirement. And uh, was the priest to make atonement for the people so they could be forgiven when presenting their sin offering? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, was the bullock, which was not totally consumed as the sin offering, taken outside the camp and burned? Yep, that's, so that's kind of the, the status quo. Leviticus 4.21. If it didn't get fully burned yes. on the altar, it'd be taken outside yes, the camp. Yes, it would be removed and, and taken outside the camp. And, uh, of course, what kind of animal sacrifice was required for a ruler to fulfill his sin offering? A ruler. A male kid of the goats without blemish. 
a male kid of the goats without blemish. Very interesting. Leviticus 4.23. And was the ruler responsible for laying his hand upon the goat and killing it? Did you hear that question? Yes. The ruler was responsible for laying his hand upon the goat and killing it. The, the, the ruler was the one that had to slit the throat, Leviticus 4.24. And of course, the priest was there that if you, you couldn't do it or you had a hard time, he was there to assist you. But imagine that, everybody, that, that our sins would, would cause this animal to die in the past. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a sad thing for the life of the flesh is in the blood. But, you know, it is a bloody gospel, and it, it's just the way it is. Uh, a lot of people would question the sacrificial system in, in, in that regard, but we know uh, even today, so there's no uh, confusion or, or misconception here, uh, Yeshua is our sacrifice once and for all. Uh, our sins in the, in the past, sins today, sins tomorrow, uh, He died for us, and so He is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the world. I want to make that very clear. Uh, but we are studying the sacrifices and, and the offerings, and this is important that we, that we know this. Now, once again, a male kid of the goat without blemish was needed for a ruler. But what about what was required for a commoner or a common person to carry out his sin offering? Leviticus 4.28 and verse 32. So the distinction here is a female kid of the goat without blemish. So a female kid of the goats without blemish. Uh, Once again, a female. Very interesting. We have to go into and study that a little deeper. Uh, So I just want to thank all of you for listening because we are really, we are hitting this thing fast and heavy, I know. Uh, Burn offering represents it's totally consumed. Uh, And then, of course, you have a meal offering, a grain offering, a meat offering uh, that would represent being a servant. And then, of course, from there, we're going to go into the the, the the peace offering. That's the only offering the offerer can eat from. That's voluntary as well. So those thir- first three offerings are voluntary. Now, the sin offering is, is mandatory. And now we're going to be looking at the trespass offering. Leviticus chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. Uh, once again, uh, let me give you some examples of a trespass, okay? This is the final offering. You guys are doing so well. Failing to speak and reveal the truth when under oath is a trespass. Failing to purify self when one is unclean is a trespass. Speaking and swearing rashly and quickly, then forgetting what was said or shirking responsibility for it is a trespass. I mean, this is our culture today. We are trespassing every single day. Even our government, our representatives are are, are trespassing every day. With, with their breaking of vows and, and commitments and words. And, you know, we really, really need to be praying for our government. So once again, in question number 46, if a person was guilty in the examples given in the beginning of chapter 5, did they need to bring a sacrifice? Yes. Yes, of course. Absolutely. Le- Leviticus chapter 5 and verse 5 and 6, this is the trespass offering. It is asham, A-S-H-A-M. It's number 817 in the Strong's Concordance. This is so important, everybody, because we have to straighten up here. The trespass, is it means guilt or a fault. It's the concept of guilt or offense. And so we're going to be looking at this even closer. Uh, of course, uh, we have here in Leviticus chapter 5, verses 6, 7, 11, um, what's the appropriate sacrifice needed for the sins committed in the beginning of chapter 5? What, what is it, Ryan, in, in, in those three boxes there? So- uh, it's going to be a lamb or kid of the goats, uh, two turtle doves or two pigeons, or one-tenth part of an ephah, which I believe is an omer. Very good. A lamb or a kid of the goats, two turtle doves or two young pigeons, one-tenth part of an ephah. So what did the priest do with the blood 
from the above sacrifices. So they would sprinkle it on the sides of the altar, uh, and the rest was wrung out at the bottom of the altar in that basin. Leviticus 5, 9. So once again, what is the name given for the fifth sacrifice found in the book of Leviticus? Leviticus 5.19. It's a trespass offering. A sham, number 817 of the Strong's in a sham offering. Now, what animal was used for the trespass offering? This is a ram without blemish. This is an Leviticus adult, an adult male sheep. Wow. A ram without blemish. We'll slow it down a little bit here as we're closing out this Torah portion. Question number 51. Could you trespass against the Lord and man? Oh, Leviticus yeah. 5, 15 and 16. And of course, chapter 6, verses 4 through 6. Could you trespass against the Lord and man? Uh, yeah. And whenever you trans- trespass against your fellow man, you're trespassing God as well. You know, you think about the, the Lord's Prayer. You know, it talks about, uh, and forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us. As we forgive those who have trespassed against us. You know, when I was a kid growing up, in closing here, you know, there was a no trespassing sign on the farmer's property. And so what do we do as kids? We trespassed. Oh, yeah. We went right past that sign. And some of us got in trouble. And we talked about that last night with, uh, with our little... Uh, you know, our little incidents there. So once again, we can trespass against each other uh, and against God. And so we want to make sure that we make things right. That's why God gave you a conscience. If you said something inappropriate or an action was inappropriate, you know, you have trespassed that person in your life. And so we don't want to do that. So in closing here, what was the amount required to pay back when one trespassed against the Lord or man? Leviticus 5.16 and Leviticus 6.5. What was required to pay back when one trespassed against the Lord or man. It's going to be one-fifth, so restitution plus 20%. One-fifth. Now, I want to give you this example here. Let's just say that I borrow somebody's book, and they say, Pastor, would you like to borrow my book? Would you like to read my book that I read? And I think you would find it very interesting because I'm a voracious reader. I love books. And so I take the book, and and I start reading, and I spill coffee all over it. Well, what is the Torah requiring me to do, Ryan? What do you think he's requiring me to do? It's requiring you to replace the book plus 20% of the value of the book. Plus 20% of the value. Isn't that incredible? Can you imagine if we started doing this, what people would say? Wow, that was very responsible. That was respectful. You know, uh, Nick spilt coffee all over my book. He bought me a new book, and he gave me 20% of the value of that book. Why? Because that's what the Torah says to do. That's what the Torah says to do. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. Uh, I've heard of people even doing that. Uh, somebody was in a fender bender, and uh, they got in an accident, and they and they, they paid for the uh, the repairs, and then they gave them another check for twenty percent of that amount, and it said it changed their life. Amen. So Ryan's going to finish up here with question number fifty three. When a person trespassed against another person with something that was of material value, once again, we just talked about this. Was the principal restored plus one fifth? Yes. Yes, it was. Leviticus 6, 5. It was. And so um, in closing here, uh, we've got a, a little resource here uh, that we got out of uh, the Bible Maps and Charts uh, by Thomas Nelson. It's the, the Nelson's Complete Bible Maps. And it's got the five sacrifices, and then it, it gives you uh, kind of a grid of you know the Scripture references, the purpose, uh, what did the, the, the offering consist of, what was God's portions, the priest portions, the offers portions, so on and so forth. And then the prophetic significance is, is pretty cool, because they're all pointing to Yeshua. And one of the things I noticed is that, you know, I always ask myself, what is the difference between a sin offering and a trespass offering? And the difference there uh, was restitution, that with a sin offering, 
uh, it, it's not possible to make restitution, uh, or it wasn't a material thing that you could make restitution for. Whereas a uh, trespass offering uh, required the restitution plus the sacrifice. Um, and so the other thing is, you know, when we read Leviticus, we talk about sacrifices, and people will tell you uh, that the sacrificial system is done away with. Uh, even in Judaism today, they've replaced the sacrificial system with mitzvot. And let me assure you that the sacrificial system is not done away with. Yeshua is our sacrifice today, yesterday, and forever. And so uh, it is because of his atonement that he makes for us once and for all that we have salvation, and today is the day of salvation. Uh, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So let nobody fool you into thinking that you can be good enough or do good enough to earn salvation. It is what Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ himself, has done for us that gives us salvation. And, and he is our, our offerings. Uh, he is our sacrifice uh, that makes atonement for our sins. And so we are so thankful for what he did because he made it so that we have right standing with God and that we can pray and have our prayers heard and that we can have relationship with God. And so uh, I encourage you guys with that, uh, dig into the book of Leviticus with us. Uh, we'll be right back here next week uh, with the Torah portion uh, starting at verse six uh, or chapter 6, verse 8 in Leviticus. Uh, if you guys want to reach out to us and if you guys want any of these resources, the PowerPoints, uh, or, or any of these charts or anything like that, just email me at ryan at topraise.net. We'll get them out to you. You can call the office at 813-654-2222. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. God bless and have a great week.